0: Well, before we take a look into the word of God this morning, let's go ahead and bow once more for a word of prayer. I've got Jesus. How could I want anything more? Uh, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, uh, who is the one uh, responsible for making it possible for us to be redeemed, to be restored, to be made right. Uh, through faith and trust in him and him alone. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing him and knowing you uh, and your uh, spirit as well. And Father, as we open up your eternal word this morning, we ask that you would teach us, uh, that you would help us to engage our minds and to think upon, to contemplate, to meditate upon uh, your word, uh, because your word transforms us. Uh, it takes those that uh, do not know you, who are your enemies, uh, and through Uh, The gospel good news helps us to see our need of a savior, gives us uh, the ability to repent and be made right. Uh, And uh, two, it gives us the ability to live the Christian life, to to know what we need to do uh, to overcome things that come into our everyday lives that can be overwhelming. And so, Father, as we uh, seek those uh, truths out today, Lord, I pray that you would bless us through your spirit uh, as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen if you have your Bibles and haven't turned already to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we are making progress. We're in verse 6, uh, and we're in part 8 uh, of God's sovereign plan of salvation. So uh, there's going to be a few more parts because, uh, as you remember, this section goes all the way up to verse 14. But today we're going to be looking at verse 6 in its entirety uh, as we take a look uh, as, uh, at the glory of God. Uh, in relation to salvation. Uh, and this is an important thing for every believer to understand and to see because apart from Christ, uh, we do things, uh, and man does things for his own glory. Uh, he lives for himself because man is very self-centered because he is a slave to sin. And something that happens when we put our faith and trust in Christ changes all of that so that we can do something that we could not do And we really cannot do apart from God's power, and that is glorify God. And so we're going to take a look at verse 6 today. Uh, So let's begin by uh, looking at the very first phrase there, verse 6, where it says, To the praise of his glorious grace. Well, let me define a few terms here, because uh, when we take a look into the Greek, uh, there is a lot more depth uh, in the definition of these words that are translated simply praise and glorious in our English translations. And the word praise literally means applause, uh, commendation or honor, uh, approbation or ad- admiration. Uh, and what this is, this word praise here, is a recognizing of what is true and beautiful about God and his nature. So stop for a moment and think about what is beautiful about God. You know, we get so wrapped up in life that, you know, once Sunday is over, maybe even once church is over, we we get wrapped up in all the things that that we have to do, all the appointments we have to make, all the projects that have to be completed, the fact that you might have to return to work tomorrow and work Monday through Friday, uh, that you have family things that you need to take care of because you're helping to raise the next generation, uh, or whatever the case might be. Uh, The thing is, is we can get so wrapped up in, in life that we don't take the time to recognize what is true and beautiful about God. And we need to, because apart from Jesus Christ, we would not even have a relationship with God. We'd still be his enemies. And so Paul is saying here, to the praise. So recognize what is beautiful about god and stop and take time to think about what's beautiful about god and we're not talking about you know you know that god is more pretty than anything else we're talking what is beautiful about god in relation to his attributes in relation to his nature that he does not change that he is everything that he you know speaks to in relation to his nature for instance love he is love you know it's perfect in all of its ways. It does not need to decrease. It does not need to increase. Uh, you know, God doesn't lose any of his love because that's who he is. And that's something beautiful about God. It's something reassuring to us as believers is that God doesn't change, that all of a sudden when we stand before him, he's not going to say, well, guess what? I changed my mind. Salvation is now through this, not my son Jesus Christ. See, God's not going to do that. Because as we've been learning that that salvation is God's before the foundation of the world, that he established this, and his plan is unfolding within time. Well, Paul uses another word here. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace. That word glorious is the Greek word doxa, uh, and it literally means that which belongs to God. Do you realize that there are things that belong to God? You know we have belongings, things that belong to us that you know you've you've earned or you've you know paid for, uh, things that you you treasure. Well, this here, Paul is saying, you know, recognize what is true and beautiful about God and His nature, and give Him the honor that is due Him. Don't withhold it. Don't forget about it. Instead you know see him as it says there in the definition as the kingly majesty which belongs to God as a supreme ruler and the majesty of his saving grace understand and embrace the magnitude of what God has accomplished through Christ it is not something minimal it is not something worth forgetting and that's part of what we do each time we gather together each month is to do this in remembrance of of me in relation to Christ in his sacrifice because we need to see the majesty of the saving grace with which we enjoy. And this same word here, glorious, is where we get our word doxology from. Okay, and so, you know, we, we sing the doxology from time. And that doxology is a proclamation of what we know to be true about God. Things that make God beautiful in our eyes. To see him as he is. To not make him something less or something different but to see him as he truly is. To the praise of his glorious grace. Emma's going to let grace float out there for a little while because we're going to get to more passages in relation to speaking about grace at a future time, especially once we get to uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. But for right now, we're going to recognize the fact that we are to recognize what is true and beautiful about God, and we are to give him what he is worthy of, due of. And that brings us to our next point, is that glorifying God means to recognize his greatness and to give him the honor and the praise that is due his name as the only one worthy of worship. See, what man has done is, is you look at culture, as you look at the, the history that has gone before us, man is searching for something to worship, whether it's himself, whether it's something outside of himself. Man formulates, man puts together in his mind something that he worships. And it's not just one thing, it's multiple things, and those things change over time based off of what uh, the likes and dislikes are, what makes them happy or sad, uh, or makes them angry. Uh, And so, the thing is, is what we're recognizing about God in relation to uh, His glorious grace and the praise that which we should give to Him is we're recognizing again who God is. David, in his psalm of thanks to the Lord, says this in First Chronicles sixteen twenty eight and twenty nine. He says, "Ascribe to the Lord, O clans of the peoples; ascribe to the Lord glory and strength; ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name." Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Well, you remember, we're supposed to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The fact that he is set apart, which is exactly what he does through Christ, is he sets us apart. And when we spoke to that last time. And that is what we're supposed to do, is we're supposed to worship him and him alone. Now, it doesn't mean we cannot enjoy the things that God does bless us with. That's not what I'm saying. But first and foremost, the reason why you were created was to worship God and worship him alone, because he is the only one worthy. Now, it's not as if he needs worship, because remember, God with the Godhead, before he created anything, was perfect in all of his ways. He was not lacking. He did not need something more. What we are doing is we are scribing, we are acknowledging, we are calling forth what is already true about God and giving testimony to that when we worship him. And we should. To glorify God is to praise his attributes. You know, we uh, just a, w- a little while back, and I guess it's probably been a few months now, uh, finished the attributes of God study in, in the adult Sunday school class. Uh, if you weren't there, you missed out. Because we do need to be reminded about God's attributes. And I name just a few because to glorify God is to praise his attributes. To praise what he has revealed to us in his word about who he is. His eternality, his holiness, his majesty, his faithfulness, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love. His sovereignty, his omnipotence, omnipresence, his omniscience, his wisdom, his truth, his justice, his self-sufficiency, his self-existence, and his immutability, just to name a few. Those are the things that you're supposed to be contemplating. Those are the things that you are ascribing glory and honor to God because that's who he is. And each one of us has been given the eyes to see that for the very first time when we trust Christ as our Savior. And there are many in our world that do not acknowledge that. They don't want to acknowledge that there's a God. Matter of fact, they will do the complete opposite of acknowledging there's a God just so they can, you know, serve themselves. To glorify God is to praise his attributes. To the praise of his glorious grace. I'd like to divert for a few moments uh, to speak about God's glory, because there's one thing you need to understand, is the fact that God does not give his glory to anything or to anyone. That is why one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? The glory of God the Father. Even those that are at hard rebellion against God, that are dead in their trespasses and sins, who hate God, who shake their fist at heaven, guess what? They're going to kneel because God is their creator. And he will open up their eyes for that moment to realize the foolishness of their ways, for them to see the hardness and the rebellion of their hearts, and still, with their voices, proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. See, God takes you know, the fact that he is to be glorified very seriously. Because any time that we you know put substance or time or energy into something and we elevate it above God, guess what you're doing? You are robbing God of the glory he is due. Because we have a verse that we're going to get to in just a moment that we need to realize that everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we can do, anything potential that we have is things that we have to acknowledge that God is the one giving us the ability to do. Scriptures say, in him we move and have our being. You know, you need to to wrap your mind around the, the fact What most of the world does not understand is that you are not an autonomous being. You have no power to, you know, keep yourself alive. If man had that ability, then doctors would be the most, you know, wonderful people in the entire world because they would be able to keep people alive forever. But they can't. And as much as they've studied the human body, they can, you know, correct things by moving things and removing things out of the human body so that we can, you know, in some sense, you know, live longer by either eating better or exercising and doing all those things. But the thing is, the scriptures make it very clear that all the days that I have have been appointed to me by God the Father, and I'm not going to add one of those days by being whatever, Or as man coming in and trying to manipulate things in some way. Because God is the one who keeps us going. In him we move and have our being. And the thing is we have uh, an account in the book of Acts of King Herod Agrippa I. And the error that he made in taking God's glory. In verse 22 of chapter 12 it says, And the people, and this is the people of Tyre and Sidon, were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. This is what they were proclaiming about King Herod Agrippa I. Notice what it says in verse 23. It says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory or give God the glory. And when uh, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Do you think God takes his glory seriously? But yet, how many times do we, we go through a particular week and we, we don't glorify God uh, in all that we do? You know, the scriptures say that God created us for his glory. Um, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. See, there's nothing that exists apart from God. And if God stops sustaining Everything that exists for a moment, a twinkling of an eye, for whatever the smallest thing that you could possibly measure, guess what? We would all cease to be. In First 1 Corinthians 10.31, there's a command there uh, to God's children. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. So isn't it interesting that what, what things we would consider mundane as eating and drinking, which, you know, we can eat and drink some pretty amazing stuff. You know, we live in a very, you know, uh, you know, creative world where people have made wonderful things to eat. And don't get me wrong, I love to eat. But the moment I fall in love with that food, the moment that I elevate food above God, then I am robbing God of the glory. Because the ability to actually eat that food, or for the people that actually make that food, all of that is, you know, a blessing from God. So, things that we consider as mundane as eating and drinking, it says, even when you eat and drink, do all to the glory of God. So, when you sit down at your dinner table this afternoon and you begin to eat and drink, You know, is it like a border house reach and you just go in and start eating without taking time to glorify God? To pause and whether you pray before the meal, at the middle of the meal, at the end of the meal, or pray and just thank the Lord for all of the food and give him the glory. God, thank you for this wonderful meal. Thank you for the, the wonderful flavors that I can taste and enjoy. Whatever the case might be, even something as mundane as eating and drinking, we are to give God the glory. So as you look at the rest of your life, what things that are not mundane, like eating and drinking, something that we do repeatedly, you know, some of us just three times a day, some of us six or nine times a day, depending on how or not you graze or whether or not you eat between meals or eat after meals. Even that, we are to give God the glory. See, giving God the glory should be the chief desire of every believer. And that's whether individually or corporately. In the book of Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 5, it says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. So Christ has given us the ability to do something wonderful, something beautiful, and that's to live in harmony with one another. Verse 6 says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See whether it's individually we have the opportunity to lift our voices and glorify God. Maybe as you' you know you go camping for a particular weekend and you have the opportunity to be out and, and you know walk a trail you know or maybe you're listening to or playing beautiful music. You know, all those things are gifts from God. They're all opportunities to glorify God. It gave someone like Fanny Crosby, who, as you know, was blind, to be able to pen the words of the song we sung at the beginning of our service. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Fanny Crosby knew how to glorify God. Because some could say, well, you know, she, she was blind and, you know, um, make her the victim uh, and, and everything else. But what did, what did Fanny Crosby do? Even though she was physically blind, she had beautiful, 100% spiritual sight to be able to see God and to give him the glory, even despite her circumstances. I'm not sure if you're aware or not. Um, some of you might be. Um, we kind of throw some theological terms around, but during the Protestant Reformation, there was five biblical doctrines that were championed in relation to salvation in Christ to safeguard what the biblical uh, salvation in Christ was really all about uh, because there were those that were you know, adding to and taking away from the gospel message and what salvation really was. As a matter of fact, throughout church history, we've seen that, where even those who claim to be, and we'll put in quotes, Christian, end up taking away aspects of the gospel or they add to it or give man power that man does not have uh, in relation to salvation. And the reformers, you know, in order to counteract that, in order for them to stand on the truth of the word of God, put together, you know, these five what we call uh, um, uh, doctrines, Uh, which, you know, you've probably heard maybe all together, maybe individually. Um, But I've got them on the screen there for you to see. And sola scriptura is scripture alone. That means that scripture is the final authority, that we don't need anything outside of the word of God in order to tell us who we are, who God is, and what we are to do in relation to uh, the one true God. We have the word of God to stand on. Uh, Sola gratia, which is grace alone. And that speaks to the fact that salvation, salvation is by grace alone. It's a gift of God. And we'll be speaking to that in future sermons here in the book of Ephesians. Sola fide, which is faith alone, is that the, the truth that we are justified or declared righteous by God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Not because of works, but through faith alone. And then solus Christus. Which is Christ alone? That Jesus is basically and solely the way of salvation. He is, uh, you know, salvation is in Christ alone, uh, and we sing that uh, in Christ alone. And then the last one is solely de gloria, which obviously fits to what I'm speaking to today: God's glory alone. And see, salvation is accomplished for God's glory alone. And we've been, you know, painting this, this beautiful picture as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians that salvation belongs to God. And, you know, one of the aspects in relation to salvation is all of God's grace. Uh, uh, the salvation is all of God's grace and for God's glory alone. Bless you. In Revelation chapter 7, Starting in verse 9, uh, there's a beautiful picture uh, that we get a glimpse into heaven. And it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, See, we're given a picture into a beautiful scene where one day we will join because we've been given a righteousness not our own to be able to stand in the presence of God and to see him in his glory. Things that I think we don't quite understand. And because of the busyness of life, we we don't even really spend time contemplating. You know, we think that in Our own strength, we move and have our being. The thing is, is, we can be pretty full of ourselves. And the thing is, is, you know, we need to be full of God and to realize that everything that we have, including the salvation that is given to us by God's grace, is for God's glory alone for him to be honored, to be recognized as the one who in majesty brought saving grace through his son, Jesus Christ. This might be a truth hard to swallow, and particularly as you look at different uh, religions as well as churches uh, in our modern-day culture, but this is very, very much biblical, and that's the fact that there is no place For the glory of man in God's plan of salvation. Let me repeat that. There is no place for the glory of man in God's plan of of salvation. Listen to what it says in First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty eight through thirty-one. It says God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. If you contemplate that for a few moments, that'll just blow your mind. But see, that's who God is. That's why he is worthy of our glory. Or worthy of us glorifying him, is what I should say. And there's a reason for that. Verse 29 says, so that no human being might boast, or you can use the word glory there, in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Who's the source? He is. God is. The reason you have salvation, the reason why you have eternal life, is because of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's what Jesus Christ accomplished. That's God's plan of salvation. Notice that. Jesus is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts or glories, boast or glory in the Lord. Not in your own capabilities, not in your own abilities, not in the things that you accomplish. Because even the things that we accomplish in and of ourselves, we should still glorify God. The reason why my heart is pumping in my chest right now is because God is making it pump. Thank you, Lord, for a few more moments to give testimony to your glory. When I step into your presence, it's, it's, it's all going to be about that. But right now, you have a choice to glorify God or glorify yourself. John 15, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus speaks of the vine and the branches. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So even what God gives us in salvation, taking it even a step further, giving us the Spirit as a seal to the day of redemption, to give us the fruit of the Spirit, to be able to love, to to have joy, to have peace, to be patient. To do all those things is a gift from God, and we should glorify God as a result, because he has given us something we did not have apart from him, something that sin robbed us of, and that was fellowship with the God of all. I told you we were going to finish verse 6, and so I will be true to my word. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. I'd like to take the last moments we have this morning to speak to the beloved, because this is a beautiful reference to Jesus Christ, and we'll, we'll see it a little bit better here as we finish out. But notice the phrase, "He has blessed us." It says uh, that, that phrase "He is blessed" literally means to endue with grace divine favor." So everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has been endued with God's grace. That's why he says to the praise of his glorious grace. It's glorious because it's something that we need to recognize. We need to see that God is majestic above all, that he is the creator, the sustainer of all life. And the thing is, is that we are the objects of God's glorious grace in the The beloved. Okay, and you'll notice in your translation that word beloved is capital B because it's speaking about someone. Beloved literally means to love, to regard with strong affection. See, take yourself back before God created anything. You know, we spoke about God's attributes, He is self sufficient. God chose to create because within the Godhead was a perfect love a great love a deep love and matter of fact as we look at salvation God's you know first and foremost focus was in his love for his son who gave his life and the result of that sacrifice was the father raising him from the dead and making us beneficiaries of salvation through him You see, because God doesn't change. So that love that the Father has for the Son, and the Son for the Father, and the Spirit, uh, all three of them together, is a perfect love. It's a holy love. It does not lack. It does not need to grow. It is perfect in all of its ways. And it says here, to love, to regard with strong affection. That's how the Father looks at his Son. There's a strong affection there because the son did what he was sent to do. He did not fail. He did not come up short. He did exactly what was decided before the foundation of the world that would happen exactly in the fullness of time. That God would send forth his son, born in a virgin, so that he could offer himself as that once-for-all sacrifice. In chapter 2, verse 4 of Ephesians there, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. See, the thing is, is that those who are beneficiaries of salvation through Jesus Christ, we are clothed in a righteousness that's not our own. And what happens is we have the ability to commune with God when we did not before we put our faith and trust in Christ. And what happens is, is that means that we are experiencing that great love that the Father has for the Son, we get to enjoy because God does not change. You know, he's not going to, to love us less through his Son. He's going to love us as uh, if we are his own because we've been bought with a price. There is a strong affection there for those whom the Son purchased with his own blood. The thing is, notice this loving relationship relationship shared within the trinity let me take you to a couple instances one is the baptism of jesus in matthew chapter 3 it says and when jesus was baptized in verse 16 immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens opened uh to him and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him so there's the spirit Part of the Trinity. Verse 17, it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my, who? Beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Because the Son was doing what the Godhead decided before the foundation of the world would need to happen for salvation to be made possible for those who were dead in their trespasses and sins and needed a savior that he would be the only way but also on the mount of transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 verse 5 this is peter he was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased listen to him you know, at that moment, God opened up and gave those men a glimpse, just a glimpse of the glory of God. And the thing is, is that we have been given through his son the ability to one day enjoy that for all of eternity, to glorify God in every thought word and deed for all of eternity never ever having to struggle with sin or doubt or anxiety or all the things that this life can bring in see salvation comes only through the beloved there's no other way you cannot earn God's favor you can never do enough good in the eyes of man to um, buy your way into heaven There is not enough gold, silver, precious stones in existence because God cannot be bought. He is the one who says this is how it is. Remember, the kingly majesty which belongs to God as supreme ruler and the majesty of his saving grace. He is over and above all. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Do you notice? We always talk. About, we know that it was through Jesus, but do you notice how much that word "beloved" is used? Because there is a special, deep love there—a strong affection that the Father has for the Son. And see, the, the God the Father accepted his son's life and sacrificed evidence in the resurrection itself. But do you not know, want to know why Jesus is beloved? John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. See, Jesus was was living and doing exactly what was brought together as what salvation would be. So why does the Father love the Son? Because he laid down his life. And last... Seeing God's love for his Son in this way, as believers in Christ, we can delight in the fact that we are the objects of God's love. Because the Father loves the Son, the Father also loves us through his Son. That's the ultimate gift of of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten or beloved Son.